All right. Uh, welcome, everybody. Uh, Bobby Harrington here with my friend Anthony Walker with our podcast, Scripture in Black and White. Uh, so looking forward to this conversation today. Anthony, uh, how are you doing? I am doing well in the Lord, Bobby. Uh, glad to be here today. Glad to discuss what we're about to discuss as well. Yeah, yeah I am too. You know, we talk about the double entendre that, uh, uh, of course, uh, I'm a black guy, you're a white guy. But the real focus for us is that scripture is more black and white than people think. And in our topic today, which is baptism, uh, we're going to find that uh, you and I uh, see the, a scripture pretty clearly on it. And we're hoping that God will use us to encourage and help everybody with this uh, important teaching from God's word. So certainly, hope you certainly. had a good week. Hope you had a good week. Uh, we've had a good week at the Harrington household and uh, looking forward to this conversation. By the way, I'll tell everybody just up front, uh, stay with us because we're going to get a special uh, uh, viewing of one of Anthony's teachings at the Renew Gathering. We're going to actually show it if you're watching the podcast on YouTube. Uh, and if you're listening, you'll get to hear it. And uh, I'm just so Grateful for Anthony and his words, and we'll come to that in just a few minutes. So, Anthony, why don't you start us off, talk to us about what Scripture says about baptism. Wow. Uh, you know, I, I, I tend to cut to the chase uh, very quickly here, but I think that Scripture uh, cuts to the chase as well. Um, baptism is essential to the believer, um, so many points in scripture that we will discuss today. Um, the scripture is actually very clear on that. Um, I think one of the things that causes people to pause or hesitate is that often they struggle with logic. You know, they think, well, what difference does it make or what kind of sense is this or why do I have to get wet to go through this process? They'll have all these questions. Um, but but one of the things that I often say, Bobby, is that uh, faith doesn't always make sense and sense doesn't always make faith. Uh, this isn't about logic. It is about faith and it's about obedience. And so when we find that, you know, Jesus may tell someone to, hey, go to the pool and wash, um, it doesn't necessarily have to make sense, but I got to obey it because the Lord tells me to do so. So in the same way, baptism is that way throughout Scripture. We're instructed uh, to, to be baptized, and, um, and that's, it's such a powerful moment and a powerful, uh, pivotal point in the life of the believer. And I, I think it's something that we all need to uh, discuss. One of the first passages, uh, Bobby, and we'll, we'll kind of go back and forth on this, uh, one of the first passages that we'll discuss today is John chapter three. Uh, yes. You know, I, I love I love the gospel of John. Uh, just as a sidebar, I think the gospel of John is, is kind of an easy read for those who are uh, stepping into faith. Um, and, and very early on, uh, Jesus gets into a conversation with uh, a very intelligent man, uh, someone who uh, would have known quite a bit about the law, would have known quite a bit about what had been written. He had some good knowledge, some good head knowledge, uh, but his obedience was was kind of struggling in that area. Right, Bobby? That's right. Yeah. <clears throat> it's also interesting how Nicodemus comes at night to talk to Jesus. So he <laughs> kind of, you know, comes under the cover of darkness. Now, to be fair to Nicodemus, uh, at the uh, end of the Gospels, mm -hmm. uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they take care of the body of Jesus and put it in the tomb. And, you know, they don't consent to the Sanhedrin's decision to uh, put him to death. So he's not all just cloak and dagger. He, right. he comes out, you know, in the end. But uh, let me just set set it up and then you can walk us through it here. So Nicodemus, uh, he's a member of the Jewish ruling council, like we said, sometimes called the Sanhedrin. And he comes to Jesus at night and, uh, you know, he wants to know, hey, are you from God? And Jesus catches him. And he says, it's like Jesus is saying, you can't have it both ways, Nicodemus. He says, <laughs> uh, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. 
So Nicodemus says, well, wait, how does that happen? How can you be born when you're old? You can't enter a second time into your mother's womb. Uh, And then Jesus answers. He says, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter God's kingdom unless they're born of water and the spirit. So Jesus talks about this rebirth uh, in water and the spirit, which as we're going to see would be a reference to the two uh, things happening in a baptism. You have the external water and the internal spirit, uh, which normatively happen at the time of baptism. And then he goes on and says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. So Nicodemus, you shouldn't be surprised at me saying you must be born again. So what do you what do you uh, want to share with us about that, Anthony? You know, one of the things that sticks out to me about this is, as I pointed out, Nicodemus would have been um, you know, very skilled in the law um, and, and someone who is um, kind of a pensive guy, kind of somebody that, that has thought some things through. And I gather that not just from my own hunch, but just from the text. He He's responding to Jesus with questions, right? He's, he's kind of thought about this. Uh, you point out the time of day that he comes. Um, he comes at night, obviously um, being a part of the, you know, pharisaical world, they had, you know, kind of an opposition towards Jesus. So had he come to him in the middle of the day, he would have had his friends with him and this kind of conversation wouldn't happen. But he comes in the cover of darkness. Uh, he's seeking, right? He, he's really focused on this. But his mind and the frame of his mind has been bent on this legalistic system that he always has. And so a part of baptism, again, which is is very deep and very uh, significant. Yeah, there is kind of a logical point to where people sitting and watching this is, man, I don't I don't see much happening here. What's the deal? Right. But but there's that spiritual side, as Jesus says, that has to be baptized as well. You have to leave this one system of thinking and understanding and enter into this spiritual uh, way of thinking. And so that's hence the born again. And and even with that concept, he struggles a bit because of where his mind uh, has been. So, so again, for those that are coming, you, you've got to open your mind to what Jesus has to say and be willing to, okay, maybe it doesn't logically line up with me, but spiritually it does. That's good. Well, Anthony, we talked about uh, before we started uh, that we want to cover seven passages. So uh, this is a a good beginning one because I think, you know, it helps us to see that this is like this is serious stuff. Mm -hmm. You've got to be born again. A lot of people, they kind of want a part of Jesus, uh, but they don't want all of Jesus. And what Jesus is saying is, hey, takes a whole commitment to me and a new change. Uh, I'm going to put my spirit inside of you. There's a new birth coming, water in the spirit. So uh, talk to us about how Jesus' last words in Matthew 28 tie into this as well. Ooh-wee, setting this one up. So uh, in Matthew 28, some of his last words that he utters, and the timing of this is just very powerful. Um, I, I, usually when people uh, reference this, they start in Matthew 28 and verse 19. I like to go back to 18 because it even sets this thing up right. Uh, the text says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Like that's just <laughs> that's just powerful. That sets the stage for what the king of kings and Lord of Lords, the ultimate power is able to say and do that. This gives no room for, well, I think, and I feel, no, I've got all the power and authority. So what I say, um, everybody needs to hop and jump and do it immediately. Like this is something that must be done. So even that setup just kind of gets me ready for verse 19. And he says, therefore, right, (laughs) based on my authority and power, therefore, go 
and make disciples of all nations. If you don't get anything from what we do here at Renew, um, here's the mission statement (laughs) kind of basically here. But therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus gives some mandates here that, you know, every uh, believer must be obedient to making disciples. It is the DNA of the Christian that we are disciple makers. That's, that's our mandate. That is our mission. This passage is often referred to as the Great Commission. That is the mission of the Christian. And then he says, as we're making disciples, we are making followers of Christ and we baptize them. Now, this is an act that's that's taking place, right? We This is a part of what we do. We make disciples and we baptize them. But it doesn't stop there, Bobby. He continues to say, and teaching them to obey. Uh, a disciple is a follower of Christ. A disciple is obedient to the words of Christ. And so not only am I making disciples and teaching you how to follow, I'm also teaching you how to obey. And obedience um, is, again, at the core of what we do and not just obeying some of it, obeying what aligns with what I believe. It's obeying everything uh, that has commanded us. It's It's a rich text, Bobby. Yeah, it really is. A friend of mine uh, likes to say, obedience is Jesus' love language. You want (laughs) to show them how you love them. Obedience is the way you do that. Uh, I love what you're saying there. You know, in the Greek text uh, of this expression, uh, to make disciples, it's the imperative. And then there's a couple of participial phrases. All that means is they're defining the imperative. In other words, the imperative is make disciples. And then how do you do that? Well, you go uh, and you baptize people. The word baptize there is baptizo. It means immerse. The word mm-hmm. the word itself means immerse. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, we're going to make disciples. How do you do that? You're going to immerse them in the name or into the possession of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything. Uh, that also uh, is a participial phrase, teaching them to obey and then uh, the last part also has the same sense. Hey, look, I'm going to be with you always to the end of the age. So oh, it's a uh, super rich text. And it really is about baptism is conversion. You're baptized into the name of the Father or into the possession of yes. the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Oh, yes, yes. So so this is not, um, and, and again, like I said, going back to verse 18, This is said by the ultimate power. (laughs) So this is not optional. And and I say this in all sincerity. We we live in in modern in the modern world. We have lived primarily in a democratic, not politically democratic, but a democratic way of life in terms of we do what we want to do. You know, we do the will of whatever I want. And but this is not a democracy. I, I don't vote for what I want and veto what I don't want. I don't have the option to get a new Lord. No, he's it. He's got all the power. So because of that, it it doesn't have anything to do with my opinion. It doesn't have anything to do with I don't want to do. Um, He's Lord and I must obey. And that includes uh, making disciples, right? Baptizing them and teaching them. Thanks for joining us today on Scripture in Black and White. I'm going to interrupt for one second this amazing conversation between Bobby and Anthony around baptism. Just to let you know about Renew.org's free downloadable ebook resources. If you go to Renew.org forward slash ebooks, you'll find a lot of great resources on many different topics that you can download for free by just putting your information in online, as well as Baptism, What the Bible Teaches, which is the free ebook mentioned in this episode. We just invite you to be a part of what we're doing. Sign up for free resources as we journey together to grow deeper in scripture and understanding of what God's word teaches us. Let's go ahead and get back to the episode now. That's good. Well, let's go to when the church starts then. So 
we have uh, John chapter 3, where Jesus prophetically or in anticipation tells Nicodemus the way it's going to be. Then we have uh, Acts, or I'm sorry, Matthew 28, uh, mm-hmm. like you said, 18 through 20, mm-hmm. where he says, This is the norm. Uh, this is how you start off when you're a disciple, as you get baptized or immersed. And then you have the church's birthday or the day the church really begins uh, Mm -hmm. in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And uh, it's very interesting, um, Anthony, because uh, God does miracles. Like he miraculously empowers uh, the apostles to speak in all these languages by the Holy Spirit. People come together. Uh, There's well over 3,000 who are there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Peter gets up and speaks to them, and he's able to tell everybody, he says, uh, hey, Jesus died, but guess what? God made this Jesus whom you crucified. So he says to the Jewish people, God made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So uh, the word Messiah, uh, Christ, can also mean king. He's made him Lord and king. He's the promised one. Uh, and so the people are like, whoa, I'll turn it back to you to take it from there. Yes, yes. We're Acts 2.36. Anthony's about to talk about Acts 2.37. (laughs) So so because of this, and and this is a a crescendo of this message that Peter uh, is preaching, Uh, you know, he goes back into history, back into prophecy, he's building up, and we've come up to Jesus, and as you said, they're thinking about Jesus, he says, this one you crucified, right? He's both Lord and King, and they are, verse 37, cut to the heart. Oh my goodness. Well, what what do we do about this, right? What do we do? And and, and Bobby, before we get to verse 38, this is another passage that I, I look at similar to the Matthew passage. The gospel demands a response. Yes. We we can't take this information. And again, this goes back to our democratic way of living. We'll we'll hear something that challenges us and we'll sit back and say, you know, that sounds good. Right. Oh, that was that was an interesting message. And Peter is is, is giving this sermon and the, the it, it, it convicts them. But they don't sit back like us modern members and say, man, that was a powerful message. Wow. They are cut. It it, it invokes a response. I got to do something with this. And so Peter responds, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, if we go back to you know the normative, as you're pointing out, that said in Matthew, what's the process here? We're baptized into Christ. We're baptized in the name, in the possession of Christ. That's the pattern. And we see here, even as Jesus has ascended, they, the apostles are living out the mandate, baptized into Christ. Every one of you. Oh, it was a powerful moment, Bobby. Can you see yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. So uh, uh, just going along with what you're saying, uh, sometimes I like to really make sure of things. So I've spent a lot of time uh, in this text over the years, the Greek text and how it plays itself out in the book of Acts and in early church history. Super important uh, mm-hmm. to emphasize Acts 2, 38 and 39, which I'll explain mm-hmm. in just a second. Uh, as Anthony pointed out, uh, what, what he's describing here is the expression of faith in Jesus' gospel. And mm-hmm. faith includes repentance, where we say, I'm going to turn from living for myself. I'm going to turn from living in sin. Uh, so repentance and then baptism uh, in the name of Jesus Christ. And again, that's just an expression that means into or based upon uh, Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, who he is, how he's the saving king. So it's repentance and faith being expressed in this immersion in water. The word 
baptism here again, baptizo. Uh, so it's repentance and every one of you be immersed into the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, and the word uh, expression is for the forgiveness of sins. It's the Greek word ice, and it literally means, the Greek word ice means put into the state of the forgiveness of sins. And when that happens, because of your faith in Christ, uh, the normative thing is that God will give you the gift of the Spirit. In other words, he wants us to know that this is the normal conversion experience. Uh, and then he says this so that we would get it. Uh, verse 39, it's real important we carefully look at what it's saying. He says, this promise is for you. In other words, here's the promise. Everybody who repents and places their faith in Christ in baptism for the forgiveness of their sins receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the promise is for you. And he says, and your children. He doesn't mean and your babies. No, no, the promise is based on faith and repentance. So the promise is for you, your children, when they're ready to repent and place their faith in Christ, and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So this is uh, setting the pattern. Uh, some people don't like the word pattern. This is setting the model, the normative way of conversion. And, mm. Hey, for you, when you're ready to repent and place your faith in Christ in baptism, uh, God promises uh, the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. When your children are ready, God promises uh, the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And everybody you meet anywhere, when they're ready, if God's calling them, they're hearing about the gospel, they're ready to respond. This is the normative model way method by which they respond and give their lives to Jesus. The text oh, goes my on. Goodness. The, the text goes on and says, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And I love this. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number on that day. Wow. 3,000 people end up responding uh, to Jesus in baptism that day. Fantastic uh, reading and fantastic description of what happened in the early church. Wow, Bobby, that, that is, uh, man, that's amazing. And, and hopefully to the listeners and those who are watching, you, you hear and see our passion uh, as uh, ministers of the gospel. We've preached this uh, virtually daily, but, but several times in our life, and you see and hear the passion like this is, is real, it's evident, it's, it's powerful, even in that. Bobby, you make a point, um, especially in verse 39, that, you know, because of their conviction, like whenever we're convicted in anything, we begin to think about those that we love and those that we encounter. Yeah. And so their conviction, they're pricked to their hearts or cut to their hearts. They're, the thought might be, well, what about my kids? And Peter says, hey, this promise is to them, too. And yeah. well, what about anybody else that, that I come across across the world? Or what happens when I go back home and, and my neighbor across the street? What about the Hey, it's to them, too. What about I got a question to set us up, Bobby. What about two other Pharisees, those who might be uh, steeped in the law? Um, what about them? I, I know deep into uh, the book of Acts. Around chapter number 22, uh, I'll set you up. I'll throw it underhand, Bobby, so you could knock it out the park. <laughs> in Acts 22, uh, there was a, 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 an expert in the law, one who was trained by Gamaliel, uh, one who uh, tended to, you know, this was, this was his method. I, I am coming after these uh, people in the way. Uh, and that was what the uh, early believers were called. They were called people of the way, those who lived according to the way of Christ. But this guy um, by the name of Saul, uh, he was going after these people of the way. Bobby? Yeah, thank you for that. Saul. Hey, before <laughs> we get to Acts 22 and talk about Saul's conversion where he becomes the Apostle Paul, 
Uh, I'd like to just uh, draw attention to how important those verses we just looked at are in the book of Acts. Mm. So, Anthony, one of the things that I have found over the years is that uh, because a lot of churches don't teach what we're talking about here with baptism, I'll have people come to me and they'll they'll hear it and they're not sure. And what I always do is this. Uh, I say, because what a lot of people think that uh, we're supposed to do when we're ready to become uh, Christians is that we're to say a prayer. And uh, there's nothing wrong with saying a prayer, uh, but that's not God's way, uh, according to Scripture, for us to make the commitment to Jesus. Now, we are to confess with our mouth, according Mm -hmm. to Romans 10. Uh, You know, we confess with our mouth what we believe in our heart. And so a lot of people will look at that confession there and they'll think that, well, that's the way we do it. That confession actually was a part of a baptism ceremony. Most New Testament scholars in commenting on on uh, the book of Romans chapter 10 will, will point out that this was a confession typically as a part of the baptism ceremony. And it focuses on the key part, which is our heart and our faith in Jesus. Mm-hmm. So we don't want to diminish that. But when we're wanting to follow scripture, like you and I talked about last week, the question becomes, well, how do we make this commitment? And uh, when I when I tell people that praying and asking Jesus into your heart and this type of thing, it's only 100 years old. Like people have only been doing that, uh, you know, like I said, for 100 years. And I was really surprised to learn that. But in my graduate mm. studies... Uh, actually came across a PhD uh, dissertation at the Southern Baptist Seminary when I studied on this, and uh, it pointed out that this has only been practiced for the last hundred years. And I just want to say what you and I have been saying, and that is we just want to follow Scripture. We -hmm. want Scripture to be the way that we form our thinking and practices. So the Acts chapter 2 is really important when he lays it down as the way for them to respond on the first day of the church, and he sets itself up. I mean, the language is there. He sets this promises for you, for your children, and, and all who are far off. Well, set up where it is in the book of Acts and set up where it is with that description. I always tell people, just read through all the conversions in the book of Acts and just decide for yourself. Because mm. what you're going to find is in the book of Acts, there's no sense of people praying a prayer or something like that. It was uh, repentance and baptism expressing faith in Jesus, uh, that was the crucial thing. And so just read through it. Uh, I just encourage our listeners, read through it for yourself and ask yourself about that. And as a part of that, we're going to we're gonna point to this conversion of uh, Saul becoming the Apostle Paul in Acts 22. So here's the background. The Apostle Paul is explaining, as he's on trial, uh, why he changed. Here's the guy who literally helped stone Stephen, the early Christian Stephen, to death. As you mentioned, Mm -hmm. he was trained by Gamaliel, and uh, he's going from Jerusalem to Damascus to persecute Christians, put them in jail, and all of a sudden he has a vision. And in the vision, it's a vision of Jesus. He's on the road. And uh, when he sees it, he goes, uh, in verse 8, Who are you, Lord? Uh, and Jesus himself speaks in the vision. I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. Uh, Paul says, my companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice. Uh, Then verse 10, he says, what should I do, Lord? Get up, he said, go to Damascus, and there you'll be told what you've been assigned to do. So Paul says, my companions led me by the hand to Damascus because the light had blinded me. Then a man named Ananias comes to see Paul. And uh, wow, Ananias, that's a story about how God persuaded him to do it. So he does. And uh, so he he comes to, to Paul, Ananias does. It's interesting that God used people. God's always going to use people in conversions. And uh, here's what Ananias says to Paul. The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see his righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. Whoa. So Ananias is saying to Paul, God chose you for this. Uh, Like God's got a special task for you. You will be as witness to all people of what you see, have seen and heard. 
Now, I'm going to read verse 16, but before I do that, a couple of things. First off is that Paul's already acknowledged that it was Jesus. Now, did he understand everything about Jesus? I, I don't think so. I think Ananias needs to come to him, uh, you know, for fuller understanding. Mm -hmm. But when Ananias does come to him, notice what he says in verse 16. He says to Paul, and, and by the way, these speeches in the book of Acts, they're summaries. So we can anticipate and know Ananias said more than just what's recorded there. But after he explains the gospel and God's uh, calling to Paul and God's uh, commission that Paul would reach out and proclaim his name to the Gentiles, he says, now what are you waiting for, Paul? Get up, be baptized. Again, it's that word immerse. Be baptized and wash your sins away calling on his name. He says, in your baptism, hey, make a decision. Get baptized. Call on the name of Jesus in faith, in your baptism, and wash your sins away, which is exactly aligned with Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. Mm. So wait a minute, Bobby. You, you gave us some, some deep teaching here. Um, and I, I want to make sure I'm hearing you clearly. So Ananias just tells Paul, just accept the Lord in your heart and call on his name. No, <laughs> he says, be baptized. What are you waiting for? Yeah. Get be baptized and wash away your sins. Peter says for the remission of your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So we don't get to, to to anyone who may say, well, just call on the name of the Lord. We don't get to calling on the name of the Lord until we're baptized. Like that's. Well, yeah. Like I like to say, it's, it's, it's God's way for you to call on the name of the Lord. You confess, you. Uh, you confess as a part of your baptism ceremony and you call on his name as you go under the waters in baptism, pledging your faith to Jesus. Gotcha, gotcha, and and I that that makes it very very clear. There's several uh, passages that we're looking at here that make it very clear, and we're seeing the model. Um, it, this isn't a one-off. This isn't a an exception. This is the normative way, as you point out, the model through yeah. which we are uh, saved through baptism, rather. Yeah, it's faith. We're saved by faith, but it's expressed in baptism. You mm -hmm. know, Anthony, a lot, I didn't know this for many years, but <clears throat> uh, the earliest Christians, they saw baptism in the same way that you and I are presenting. By the way, we have three more key passages we want to look at, okay. including one where we're going to watch your sermon, uh, <laughs> your 17-minute sermon on uh, Romans chapter 6. But before we get there, I just wanted all of our listeners to know that uh, the Nicene Creed uh, that was penned and agreed upon by the earliest Christians, I think it's uh, 381 of the Common Era, sometimes called AD 381. Uh, it's a statement of faith of what the early Christians believed. And it ends with this expression, I believe in one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And the reason I bring this out is a lot of people are thinking what you and I are talking about is kind of like a, a new idea. No, actually, what we're talking about is not only what the New Testament shows us, but it's what the Christians believed for the first 400 years after mm. the New Testament uh, as the normative way to surrender your life to Jesus. Mm. Mm. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. What we got? What we got next, Bobby? Give us the next passage. Well, let's go next if we can, because it's tied in with this is to the book of First uh, Peter. So we're going to go outside the book of Acts. We could show other things in the book of Acts, like, for mm -hmm. example, uh, Acts 16, the Philippian jailer, who's baptized mm -hmm. in the middle of the night, it's so important, mm -hmm. or Acts 19, where followers of John the Baptist had never really surrendered in faith to uh, to the gospel of Jesus. They only knew the baptism of John. They're rebaptized, expressing their faith in Jesus. So there's a lot there in the book of Acts. But if we go to 1 Peter 3, uh, I think it's a really important passage for us to look at because Peter is describing 
what it's like to be a small minority. And what he wants to do as he describes that is he's talking to people about how sometimes God's people are not very numerous uh, in number. Like sometimes there's just a few of them. And And so he points back that in the ancient world, when the waters of Noah's flood came, uh, they separated, like Noah and his family, mm-hmm. Shem, Ham, and Jepheth and their wives. So Noah and his wife, uh, early Christ, or actually it's a Jewish document called Enoch, uh, which is written like 300 BC, calls Noah's wife Edna, by the way. So Noah, mm-hmm. Edna, Shem, uh, Ham, and Japheth and their wives, they're the only eight people saved, but they were saved through water. So mm. in First Peter chapter 3, I know you know this one really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he uses that as a type. In other words, being saved through water, those eight people in Noah's day, serves as a type or a foreshadow of what happens to, in, in Peter's case, there wasn't very many Christians in the world. So the people of Noah's time serve as a type or a foreshadow. In fact, I think the Greek word typos is used, a type or a foreshadow of Christian baptism. So here's how he says it. Uh, He says uh, uh, about in verse 20, uh, in it, in Noah's Ark, only eight and only a few people, eight and all were saved through the water. Then he says in verse 21, this water symbolizes or foreshadows is a type of pointing toward this water symbolizes or points toward baptism that now saves you also. Now, so that people won't think it's the act of baptism that saves you, he clarifies. Not the removal of dirt from the body. It's not the going under the water. It's not the what the water does, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. In other words, you're pledging a repentant faith in Jesus. That's the saving element. Now, it happened at baptism. The saving element is their repentant faith. And then he says, it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, what gives the merit to your faith? Hey, it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who's gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. It is not the removal of dirt from the body. So again, this, you know, we've been pointing out some of the similarities and some of the themes through all of these passages of scripture to those who may have kind of the logical mindset on this. This answers this. This is, uh, it, it has nothing to do with the physical dirt on the body, but the spiritual dirt of sin within our heart. And so again, this may not make the logical, well, what's the deal with no, no, no. This is a deeper, much deeper scenario. And it is given, and I love what you put there, it is given its power and its merit by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A completely different, we could do another episode on that. As Paul says, if Christ be not risen, the resurrection is another powerful, pivotal point in the lives of Christians. All right. Praise God. Hey, brother, I want to get to your uh, sermon. So uh, we right. promised people we'd show them seven passages. So, so far we've looked at uh, John chapter 3, Matthew 28, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 22, 1 Peter 3, 21. That's five of them. Uh, the sixth one we want to look at is Galatians chapter 3. And uh, by the way, if you're taking notes, Galatians chapter 3 is pretty close to the teaching in Colossians chapter 2 on this same point where it talks about an immersion. Uh, Again, the word baptism means uh, immerse, uh, an immersion that circumcises your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And uh, in Galatians, I like Galatians. We're going to look at Galatians 3, 26 through uh, 28 and 29, because I want to emphasize something. You know, the Bible teaches that we're saved by grace through faith. So grace is God's part. It's the gospel. It's the wooing of the Holy Spirit. It's everything that Jesus does. But faith is our part. We have to say yes 
to the wooing of the Holy Spirit. We have to say, yes, I want to trust and follow Jesus. Yes, I want to surrender to Jesus. And I love the way Galatians 3 describes that faith commitment. Here's what it says. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. So we are the children of God as Christians through faith. Our faith makes us children of God. He says, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. When 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 did our faith bring about this change? When we were baptized into Christ, we cl- we put on Christ as a garment. And now there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, uh, nor is there male or female. We are all one in Christ because we gave our hearts to Jesus by faith in baptism, and we were clothed with Christ at that time. Mm. <laughs> Again, I, I'm, I'm loving this. Um, as Paul says, we were baptized into Christ. We, we did not sneak into Christ. We did not uh, pray a prayer into Christ. We didn't call his name enough to be let in. We are baptized into Christ. Uh, that's powerful. That's powerful. Yeah. Hey, Anthony, uh, we're about to go to Romans chapter six now, which right. will make our seventh uh, key verse. Uh, there's many more on baptism in the New Testament, but these seven are really crucial for our understanding of what the New Testament says. Uh, if, as you're listening to this, you have questions, or maybe you're listening and I don't, I don't know where you live, uh, but you, maybe even you're ready, you say, you know, I want to get baptized. Uh, I want to encourage people to email us at info at renew.org. That's info at renew.org. And uh, we'll help you find a church there uh, in your area. Uh, or, you know, if you're close enough to either Anthony or myself, we'll try to figure out how we can help you make this commitment of faith to Jesus in baptism. And as we've said, for us, it's the normative way. We're not saying that God won't save anybody uh, who hasn't done it this way. But for Anthony and I, we would encourage everybody, given what we've already studied in our previous episodes about Scripture, uh, we want to do what God says. We want to obey what God says. We want to let Scripture be the thing of which we form our lives around as we form our lives around Jesus. Well, Anthony, uh, I want to ask you, we're about to show this clip of your presentation at Renew. Uh, it was the Renew National Gathering, which we recently had. And I've got to tell everybody, we did a survey afterwards. We had about a thousand people there, a thousand church leaders, and we always survey people afterwards. And when we did the survey, uh, and we, we try to find out who are the most effective speakers because we want to learn from that and, uh, uh, you know, use that as a good way to gauge what we're doing in the future. The one speech of all the TED-style talks, which are like these 15-minute talks uh, that people liked the most and commended to us the most was the one that you gave. And it's on Romans chapter 6. So, Anthony, I just want everybody to join me. And uh, we want to watch what you said, how you said it, uh, because I'm just so pleased with it. I think it's so biblical and inspirational all at the same time. So let's watch it together. And then afterwards, we'll have a few comments between us before we bring this session to a close. So good to see all of you on this morning. Hopefully we have been uh, inspired uh, by David and encouraged and motivated by Sadonke. Uh, I'm I'm just so glad to kind of be at the end of this session. They've already uh, loaded the bases. I just need to bunt. I I (laughs) I don't have to hit a home run, just bunt. 
and make sure I get on base as well. Uh, I, I want to share just a few minutes talking about your baptism. Uh, David has already preached half of my message, so. Um, but, but, but I do want to share that, as he pointed out, baptism is not just an incremental step. It's not just the next step. It is a pivotal moment in, in, in everyone's life. It is pivotal. It is transformational. And we want to deal with that. Uh, hold your finger at Romans uh, chapter number six. Well, before we get there, Paul uh, is addressing uh, Christians, uh, the church in Rome, and they're dealing with issues that we normally uh, deal with. They're dealing with sin uh, in Romans chapter one and two. They're dealing with uh, guilt. And Paul even introduces this concept at the end of chapter five, talking about grace. But I, I want your mind to roll back to another epic story that we find in Scripture. It's an epic story in the Old Testament about a people who were struggling with sin, who were bound, and they were saved through water. Y'all remember those people? But the problem was that even though Israel was out of Egypt, Egypt wasn't out of Israel. And so within moments of getting uh, through the Red Sea, uh, Moses goes up to pray and, and, and have counsel with God. And while he's there, he spends just a little too long praying. He was a preacher, by the way. Um, he spends a little bit too long praying. And the people have built another altar. They've built a golden calf. They've built an idol that was reminiscent of what was still in them. And so as Paul now is addressing a people who struggle with sin, who struggle with idolatry, who have been saved through water, he says, let me tell you the problem that you have. You don't remember the significance and the power of your baptism. He says in Romans 6 and verse 1, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Here's the problem that sin has. It reminds me of the very first horror movie I've ever seen in my life. I was probably about five or six years old, and, and that's not when you show kids horror movies, by the way. Um, but, but I used to want to sneak and see, you know, the movies. My mom loved horror movies. I wanted to sneak and see. And so one night she said, well, okay, if you want to watch it, she knew the deal, right? And this movie was the night of the living dead. And it boggled my mind as it boggles it now. Like these people were dead, but at night they would come back to life again. And what happens with us, it, with our human nature, we were raised in a culture, in a, in a world of flesh, raised in sin. And so even though we've been baptized, there is an old man that's trying to come back to life again. And Paul says that's not how we operate in Christ because unlike the systems of old that needed repeating over and over again, sacrificing over and over again, Christ died once and for all. Praise God. I'm a, I'm a Southern preacher and amen will do all right every now and then. And so because of that, there is none of this coming back to life deal. And if not, it's an evidence that there wasn't a real uh, transition and real transformation that happens in your life. It, it also reminds me of, of living in debt. If anybody in here has ever been in debt, debt is a, a cloud that, that, that hovers over your life. You know, oh my gosh. And, and every time there's an opportunity, you even approach the opportunity negatively because you know, oh, my credit is bad. Oh, this debt is over me. Oh, I owe so much. You're hesitant to check the mail because, oh, there's going to be another bill. It's just always over you. Sin is like that. It's always over you. But when Christ died, he took everything that was trying to kill you into the grave. 
And when you were baptized into his death, everything that tried to kill you goes with it. Praise God. So now you come out a new creature and the debt has been rolled away. But there's a tendency sometimes for us still to think, oh my gosh, I, I still, no, it's gone. Live free in Christ. It's been paid. You're good. Yeah, but I've also, no, 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 no. It's been paid. It's good. Paul goes on. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. See, there's an evidence here. When you come into this new life, the the scriptures say that all things have been made new. Praise God for newness of life. And he uses this illustration because this is also the seriousness and the gravity that we must approach our baptism with. This is not a light next step. This is serious, so serious that it is emblematic of a funeral, even what a funeral should be in Christ. What do you mean what a funeral should be? Funerals, we're sad, we're weeping because they're leaving this life and they're leaving us behind and memories and all of that. But for those of us who understand spiritually what's taking place, there's a joy with us, right? We have joy for those that die in the Lord because we know you're going to a better place. Praise God. So when you are baptized, similar to a funeral, check this out, all of your loved ones are around, you go down into a a, a grave of sorts, right? But you rise up. Now this is the new thing. Because unlike the night of the living dead, amen, the people that we bury, they stay in those graves, but we get to see what actually takes place spiritually. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So if you want to be like Christ, you got to die, but you'll also be raised again. And we see that. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin may be done away with. It is dead that we should no longer be slaves to sin because of anyone who has died has been set free from sin. There is a power in the baptism. There is power. There is declaration. You are saying without a shadow of a doubt, I stand with Christ. Amen. And, and, And watch this. What happens with any death and resurrection situation is that there is life going into death. See, when Christ went from life to death, it was brutal, but his resurrection was going from death into life, and it was beautiful. For those that want you to live in sin and for the enemy that wants to keep you in sin, your transition from worldly life into death is brutal to him. But your transition from that death to the world, but life in Christ is beautiful. There is a a transformation and a transition. I've got a slide uh, I want to show you of a, a creature. Now be be warned about this creature that you might see, a caterpillar. Uh, I used to be afraid of caterpillars. They're just some ugly things. And I lived in the South, so every spring they were all over the place. And then one time I went fishing uh, with, with my uh, family and uh, one dropped from a tree down my shirt. What a way to have a horror story of of living through it. But caterpillars, 
uh, represent a metaphor that Paul would give later on in Romans chapter 12. He uses uh, this phrase uh, in Romans chapter 12 that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. Transform comes from a Greek word that we get the English word metamorphosis, and that is the process that caterpillars make. But caterpillars, they start out life crawling and eating a particular type of leaf. They live a certain way. They view life from a different perspective because they are caterpillars, but then they go into a cocoon and they come out completely different. Butterflies. When you are baptized, this is what's supposed to be taking place. There is a transformation. You lived previously to your baptism a particular way, but you come out a completely new and beautiful creature. They don't crawl, they fly. They don't eat the same things. They operate and see life and live life from a different perspective. All things have been made new. There is a transformation, but there's also a transition. Now, the transition is similar to that of our birth that we see. This is a birth. A baptism is a a type of birth. In that, notice when the baby is in the womb, they're breathing differently, right? They're breathing amniotic fluid. They are cramped in a space. They are eating a different way, right? But they leave that world and they enter into another world. Breathing air, right? Eating in their mouth. This is a a transition of states. And when we are baptized, we are leaving one world. We've said that old life, that old man is dead and we are stepping into a new life in a new world in Christ Jesus. And because of that, we have to always and so often consistently and constantly go back to remember our baptism. Oh, the scriptures talk about how when we are baptized into Christ, there's something amazing that happens. Uh, We are baptized into Christ and the Lord adds to the church daily. That word church, ecclesia, is a compound word that means ex and ecclesia. I'm exiting out of one thing and I'm entering into another thing. I'm thankful because of what baptism has done, I get a was testimony. What's a was testimony? Amen. Just follow Jesus around. You'll find your was testimony. I found a guy one time following Jesus. He was blind. Amen. I found another person uh, who was deaf, but guess what? They was deaf. Bad grammar, good theology. I found another person. I found another person. Amen. They uh, was hungry. Amen. Found another man. He was lamed. Found another person. They was sick. I found another guy. His name was Legion. Check that out. He said, I was possessed. I found a woman. She was thirsty. I found another woman. She was bleeding. Matter of fact, I found a guy named Lazarus. Lazarus said, I was dead. When you're in Christ, you get a was testimony. You are called out, but you're also called in. Called out of sin, called into righteousness. Called out of death, called into eternal life. Called out of the world, called into the kingdom of God. Amen, if you can. Called out of chaos, called into peace. Called out of bondage, called into freedom. Called out of fear, called into love called out of despair, called into hope, called out of pride, called into humility, called out of selfishness and called into selflessness, called out of darkness, called into the marvelous light. Y'all need some more? I was called out of unbelief. I'm called into faith. I'm called out of confusion, called into wisdom, called out of isolation, called into community. I was called out of hate, but I'm called into love. Y'all need some more. 
I'm called out of unrighteousness. I'm called into holiness, called out of selfish ambition, called into godly ambition, called out of ungratefulness, called into gratitude. Y'all need some more. Called out of dishonor, called into honor, called out of addiction, called into freedom, called out of unfaithfulness, called into faithfulness, called out of complacency, called into diligence, called out of blindness, called into spiritual sight, called out of the world system, called into the kingdom. And every day, we need to remember our baptism. Mentally go back to the grave of who you was. <laughs> Bad grammar, good theology. <laughs> but because of that now, I can stand boldly in who he's called me to be. I've been baptized. I declare to the world in a resilient fashion, I'm a new creature in Christ. And you can't call on me any of that old stuff that I used to do. My past is in my past and God will make my future my present. I'm so thankful for what God is doing. Don't let this moment pass you by without remembering your baptism. Well, Anthony, uh, I just, I love that expression. Uh, not, not very good grammar, but good theology. And it's like, <laughs> man, I'm just so proud of you and grateful for you. Like, uh, I just think that God really gave you the right words and, uh, the, the right way. And, uh, <laughs> thanks. I, in a way, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I do want, to. Uh, our uh, our listeners or those watching, uh, like, how did you feel about it now, uh, watching it again? Uh, as always, I, I tend to be critical about uh, what I share publicly. As you know, as a preacher, we go back over our notes and we think, did I make this point clear enough? Did this land? Did did they get the main thrust? And most importantly, I'm always concerned about is what I'm saying. Is it aligned with what God's word says? I want to hit the points. Uh, that he makes. So if that hit and it apparently it did, uh, I'm pleased and praise God for it, man. <laughs> well, I'm just real proud of you. Now, uh, for our listeners, I want to talk just for a second uh, about maybe of some uh, follow up that you want to do on on the question or the conversation we've been having on baptism. So let me tell you how you can do that. First, I'm going to commend uh, a book that uh, I think has been, I found it very helpful, uh, you know, when I've tried to work through what does the Bible say on it. And it's a book that I wrote with uh, Tony Twist and David Young. You say, well, Bobby, why are you referring to your own book? I'm only referring to it because uh, we wrote it to try to help people. It's, it's a short book. Uh, it's one of these books that's less than 100 pages and a small cover. It's available on Amazon. And uh, it's called uh, Baptism, What Does the Bible Teach? And if you have questions, I want to encourage you there. It's kind of a basic uh, covering at a more in-depth level, what Anthony and I have talked about. Uh, for those of you who might be like real in-depth people, Everett Ferguson wrote a book on baptism. It's called Baptism in the First Five Centuries. And from a like heavy-duty, in-depth, what scholars read and become aware of, uh, I would point you to that book because it's it's super substantive. Uh, Matthew Bates, when I first got to know Matthew Bates, the mm. New Testament scholar, and we were talking about like how do you really evaluate all this stuff on baptism? He had told me about reading Everett Ferguson's book, uh, who's an expert in Christianity, you know, in the apostolic period, and then a Harvard expert guy on Christianity in the second, third, and fourth centuries. He had pointed to that book as really 
transformative in his life. But if you're just an everyday person and you've been convinced, we're thankful for that, uh, thankful for God for that. And uh, if you need help, just email us at info at renew.org. And uh, one of the folks there will help you with it. So brother, I'm turning it back to you for the last words today. Awesome. Awesome. As always, uh, we want to encourage you to keep tuning in to renew.org uh, for source, any kind of sources uh, on biblical teaching, on disciple making. I mean, we really, really hit it uh, on renew.org. If you want to find our landing page, it's at renew.org slash media. You'll click on our podcast and we have even more resources uh, from what we say and for slides or things that we refer to. Uh, we appreciate you listening and tuning in. And also, we want to encourage you to share this. You may know some others who may be thinking about uh, being baptized or who even struggle with the concept of baptism. Share this, and this may be a part of the conversation and study. Uh, so we thank you for listening from Bobby and I. We'll see you next time on Scripture in Black and White. That was a great episode, as usual, of Scripture in Black and White. Really hope that you enjoyed it and got some really good insight into a little bit deeper theology behind baptism, what it means, what it looks like. Again, that free ebook is available on renew.org forward slash ebooks. If you scroll down, you'll find the Baptism What the Bible Teaches ebook there. Pop in your information and you can download that for free and get an even deeper dive into baptism today. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll be back next week with another episode of Scripture in Black and White.